0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: And when I have that thought in my mind, I would do something. You know, I'd I'd jerk the ball one way. I'd I'd get target panic. I I would screw up my technique in some way where I would miss. And like Michael said, I screwed up a lot of shots early in my career because I had thoughts going through my head. When I came to full draw, when I got to that anchor point, um, I, then I, then I went to that uh, another stage where I was trying to incorporate a lot of the same techniques that, that I was learning in target shooting. Where I get come to full draw, I make sure that my bow is nice and balanced. So I make sure that bubble is in between the line. I realized very quickly that in a live animal, you can't go through that whole routine. Oh, you do. She's down.
2: Dude, I just shot a deer of a lifetime.
3: Freaking smoked him.
4: One with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely
2: gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. Fall Obsession Podcast.
4: All right, everybody. Welcome back to another Fall Obsession podcast episode. I'm Sam, your host for this week's episode. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I am super stoked about this podcast episode. It's something that kind of been on my mind as I was talking with our guests uh, a few moments ago. I've been on my mind for a while to do a podcast about this, but um, we're talking archery. We're talking bow hunting not just um you know sitting in the stand or hunting tactics but more of the mental game behind archery knowing your limits as a bow hunter as an archer and we're going to expand off of those topics today my guests joining me um, are several faces from our fall obsession crew our production director nick powell is with us staff manager todd sellin from michigan is with us and we also have uh, pro staffer michael TP joining us as well all these guys have been on the podcast before and thank you gentlemen for for joining me this week it's awesome to sit down with you so I'm excited
1: absolutely
2: yeah thank you
4: so to to dive into this topic oh I I shouldn't forget we're we're driven by Ridge Rock Hunt Company I'm getting so excited about archery that that I'm forgetting that we're driven by Ridge Rock Hunt Company Nick's rocking the hat there on the podcast video but uh Ridge Rock Hunt Company is the podcast partner I'll talk more about them at the end but to dive into this, um, we'll we'll just go round table around it and then start expanding off of stuff, but I want us all to share kind of some of our, just our general experience as an archer, milestones for our time as a bow hunter or as an archer, and we will kind of go from there. So Michael, we'll, we'll start with you, sir. All
2: right. So, um, started archery at the age of 12, uh, 38 years old now, so 26 years of archery experience it started out with a bare bow from a garage sale that my mom picked me up when i was 12 years old $75, half dozen arrows back in the day that was aluminum arrows yeah. as you guys remember and uh the bow was almost as big as i was at the time <laughs> so <laughs> needless to say it wasn't uh you know it wasn't the best setup for me but hey i was just tickled pink to get an opportunity to get in it so yeah. 26 years later, things have changed quite a bit. I remember being excited to hit the bullseye at 10 yards back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of how long I've been in the archery game. It's always been compound for me, have dabbled with some traditional recurve. Um, but yes, for the most part, it's been compound for me. Awesome.
4: Nick, we'll go over to you.
3: Yeah, uh, I was actually kind of forced into the archery game Um, in Collin County. That's where I I hunt mainly. Uh, When I was growing up, I was mainly rifle um, and Collin County opened up where we lived, Collin County opened up a bow season, archery only season. And so in order to hunt in our backyard, we had to learn how to shoot a bow. So me and my dad uh, split a bow, we split it right in half, or like we, we went in on it together And uh, we went to, you know, Cabela's not knowing anything about archery, went to Cabela's. They set us up with an old regulator, um, I think made by Diamond. And we had, we started with the same thing as Michael did. We had aluminum arrows, uh, thought those were most sturdy. So we went with those. And so I've been, I haven't really, I never really dived into it as much as I did um, a few years ago when me and Sam actually, when I first started with Fall Obsession uh that's when i first really got into it was just a few years ago so i i still feel like a novice uh in the archery game but yeah that's how i got started was got forced into it but it's todd, been it's been worth every bit every minute so
4: oh yeah for sure todd how about you
1: so my experiences with archery go way back when I used to hunt as a, as a young Todd, a really young Todd with my <laughs> uncle. He um, used, used to you know hang out with my uncle to go hunting and he would he would he would uh, hunt archery, he would hunt and gun and it was just kind of whatever weapon he chose I was with him. and you know as I got older, I had to take hunter safety myself. And I actually told this story when I was with you this summer Sam on one of the podcasts that I had a dad heckling me. At, uh, at, a, at a at a bow range and for me, it was easy to hit a target. You know, back then I didn't know anything about, sh- you know, aim point and where you had to shoot the deer and that sort of thing and I just remember hitting this, the target um, right behind the ear. I'm thinking, yep, that's a kill shot and this dad heckling me. I just thought this is easy. And fast forward about a year, my dad got me my first bow, which was a Martin Prowler with uh, Easton aluminum arrows and uh just kind of took off from from there you know i I would uh go out hunting with my uncle again and during bow season we would um we you know i would go i would use my bow and i just kind of gravitated more towards bow hunting than i did rifle hunting and you know fast forward years later when i when i first met heather um and i got heather her first bow and again i told that story about when she went out with me and she caught the bug and we ended up shooting competitive archery and and so from that and i've always hunted like i said i've always hunted bow but competitive archery is really where i started to hone in my skills as an as an archer and uh really started practicing some of the techniques that we use both on the range and out in the woods so
4: yeah yeah awesome well Mm -hmm. I, i got into it when when i was a kid my my dad he Long, long time ago, like before I was, before he ever met my mom, before he was ever born, or, or maybe it was after he met my mom. Neither here nor there. He bow hunted like one or two seasons, but he was not a bow hunter. He he was a rifle hunter. And growing up with him, we always rifle hunted. But brown September every year before season started, we would start watching the old monster buck VHS tapes, and uh, you know, getting getting pumped, <laughs> if you will, for for deer <laughs> season and everything. And so I was watching all the all the the real tree guys and the guys that typically are on those shows, you know, bow hunting and stuff. And I was always very very interested in it. So finally one day, about I guess when he thought I was big enough, he gave me his old 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 Hoyt compound bow, like probably one of the very first compound bows that Hoyt ever made, um, <laughs> from back in the back in the late '80s, I think, is when it was manufactured. So he gave me this bow. So I have pictures of that my mom took of me with this bow, and my hands like way back here. My draw length is too long. Nothing fit. I could barely pull it back at first. So, uh, and and no, you know, not knocking on my dad or at all. He, you know, didn't didn't know how to really set anybody up into a bow or anything like that. Fast forward to uh, later on, I got a job at a local archery shop um, that we still frequent, Cinnamon Creek down here and uh, worked there for, for several years, got into a better compound setup, you know, got into something that actually fit me, actually worked for me, um, and, and, and just started learning everything. You know, I worked there part-time at first, eventually went full-time, and then uh, became a tech, actually, and, and learned how to work on my own equipment. And around that mm-hmm. same time is when I started shooting, I shot competitively for a year as well and then following that was my decision to want to learn to shoot long range archery and and things like that and so through all those stages and with the with the tech aspect of it kind of driving driving everything behind the scenes I got to learn a whole lot more about archery than I ever thought I would learn and that that really kind of especially the competitive season it was really a are really a challenge with the mental game on on that mm-hmm. one I can remember I can remember shooting it was indoor that that first year I can remember shooting uh at a, a another local shop somewhere that was in the in the network and everything and um I was on track to shoot uh, a perfect score and i knew it and i was trying not to think about it just because yep. it was it was yeah. in the back of my mind and everything and we got to the i think it was the second to last round my last arrow on that second to last round i pulled the crap out of it i was i was a centimeter from shooting a zero on that <laughs> arrow and i was like what in the world just happened and got my stuff together finished the last round perfect and strong, but that, that right there was like a gut punch to me. Cause I was like, Holy cow. I was one arrow away from a right. perfect score. And I, I thought about it too much. I let it get to my head and that's when the real light bulb just went off and it was like, Oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I didn't like the way that felt. It felt so, right. so bad. I just, just literally gut punch when, when something like that happens. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's the biggest thing I realized with, um, with archery, that if you think about it, you tend to screw up. Yeah. But if you train yourself to do it automatically, then it's going to happen, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it,
4: it, it comes down a, a lot to, I mean, we can all talk, you know, muscle memory is a big part of it, you know, knowing those anchor mm-hmm. points, having everything solid when, when you come to full draw, when you're ready to release that arrow, everything yep. lined up and stuff to go out of the gun. But, um, yeah, if, if you don't have your, your mind square, with that too it it's going to it's going to mess with you a lot and and that's where when it, you carry it over to hunting too it's it's a lot different because all those little things that you're thinking about on the range when you're target practicing before season they're not in your mind at all when you're right. full draw on a big right. deer um right. So that's why that muscle memory is important. That's why, you know, making sure you're locked in, your anchor points are solid, you know, your body knows exactly where things need to be to be good to go automatically. That's all the more reason to to build those healthy habits and to nurture them and stuff. Because if you don't, you're not going to think about it in the moment. And it's going to cause you to mess up. And once again, a gut-punching feeling at that point.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right, and you made a great point just a few seconds ago about how, you know, you build skills at the the archery range through target shooting, but those skills um, could be different when you're in the woods. You know, I look at at competitive shooting, I look at target practicing versus being in my stand and shooting a, a live animal. You know, I compare, you know, hunting versus competitive shooting as baseball versus softball there's a lot of similar skills, there's a lot of similar techniques. However, there's also some very different challenges with each. And, you know, that's that's a big part that's, you know, when I used to go and shoot these competitive archery and these guys would show up with 32 inch stabilizers, I would always chuckle to myself thinking, how are you going to crawl up in a stand with a 32 inch stabilizer and be able to? But then as I shot more and more, I realized the importance of having that balance of the bow and and uh and you know being able to adjust competitive versus out in the out in the woods so um very similar but very different
3: yeah yeah so i'd be interested to hear because um, todd and, and michael y'all both shot big bucks with your bows this past season so mm-hmm. i'd be interested to hear what while you're drawing back on those big deer what kind of stuff is going through your mind in mm-hmm. that moment
4: yeah, because those of us down here in Texas, you know, <laughs> we we don't we can only live through other people when it comes to that. So, <laughs> exactly. yeah, that's part
1: of the reason I asked. <laughs> Michael, go ahead. You, you uh, go ahead
2: Michael. Yeah. Man, so the the two this year, uh, it's more of okay, pick a spot, get the yardage, get the get my single pin dial, you know, where I need it um, before. Before I draw back, you know, that's what you're thinking. Um, I'm looking for my opening. I'm not paying attention to his antlers anymore. As soon as I, you know, notify, you know, so as soon as I can see, okay, this is the buck that I'm after. This is a shooter buck. I don't care about the rack no more. I'm not looking at it. I don't care if it's how many points it is. I don't I'll worry about that when he's on the ground. So I I then turn myself and my focus over to okay, where are my openings through the timber most of the time? What are my shot locations? When can I draw back based on his head movement, any other deer that might be around that can see me drawing. And once I come to full draw, in my head, I'm telling myself, okay, now pick a spot, pick a spot, pick a spot. Once I pick a spot, I say, in my head, I'm thinking, squeeze the trigger. And then I pull back, I settle in, I go through my, my. I've got, you know, everybody's got their own routine, you know. I got a kisser button still. A lot of guys make fun of me, call it a binky. Call it what you want. It works. Okay, mm-hmm. so I get my kisser button lined up. Then I go next to my bubble. Got my bubble dialed in. Now's where I start to calm down, settle that pin on the, you know, on the vitals, and that's when I start to relax. I tell myself, calm down. You know, the heart's starting to race. You squeeze that shot off, and you know that's what's worked for me now. Uh, definitely not going to lie. Uh, Ten, well, no. 12 plus years ago good lord i messed up on so many good deer Mm -hmm. um you know sometimes never even got a drawback because i screwed up before i got to the draw stage. but um yeah for me it was a mental barrier to cross into that threshold of where i'm at today of where i can calm down and not get all jacked up before the shot and so for me it's after the shot where that buck fever really kicks in yeah uh but that wasn't the case at one time i will be honest it took a long time <laughs> and a lot of failure to get there
1: yep well the first thing that went through my mind were the looks on your guys's faces when i showed you the picture <laughs> 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 you know, like, those guys are sweating their tails off down in texas thinking man i wish i'd see a deer and i'm sitting up here watching all these deer go by and he shows up <laughs> yeah <laughs> true story <laughs> At any rate, yeah, I went just like just like Michael. I try to clear my mind, you know, and, and when I first started hunting, I went through a phase of, um, you know, drawing back. And as soon as I draw back, the first thing I think of is, oh my gosh, I'm about ready to shoot a live animal, you know? And when I have that thought in my mind, I would do something, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd jerk the ball one way. I'd, I'd get target panic. I would, I would screw up my technique in some way where I would miss. And like Michael said, I screwed up a lot of shots early in my career because I had thoughts going through my head when I came to full draw, when I got to that anchor point. Um, I, then, I, then I went to that, uh, another stage where I was trying to incorporate a lot of the same techniques that, that I was learning in target shooting, where I get come to full draw, I make sure that my bow is nice and balanced, so I make sure that bubble is in between the line. I realized very quickly that in a live animal, you can't go through that whole routine because as you're checking those things out, as you're getting to your anchor point, and when I first started using a peep, I'd find myself trying to get, get lined up with a peep, you know, because I just wasn't comfortable with it yet. My first bow I had, it didn't have a cut kisser button. It didn't have a peep. So I tried to find my anchor point somewhere between my nose and the bottom jaw. So somewhere in there, which could be a huge, you make a huge difference on your shot, shot placement. But, um, at any rate, I, I, I learned very quickly that those techniques that I learned target shooting you can't use and stand.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, um, I developed this philosophy is, uh, of um, try to get in, in as many leagues in the off-season, because that's where you can get your repetition of shooting. Try to get in as many competitions during um, off-season, because again, you're training your muscles to do the things automatically, as I mentioned before. So now, when I'm up in the stand and I see a deer, deer I draw back without even thinking about it. I come right to my anchor point. I have that peep sight lined up perfectly. Um, another big tip that I learned, which made me a better, uh, target shooter, uh, competitive target shooter was at a guy named Bob Mack that I was shooting with one time. He's the president of one of the leagues I shoot in and he was watching me shoot and he goes, you know, Todd, I noticed that your arrow is either to the right, just a little bit to the left a little bit. And when you're shooting target, that could be, as you mentioned, Sam, the difference between a good score and a not so good score, (laughs) you know what I mean? A difference between a 12 and a a five or a zero could be that much, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas on a live animal, not so. If you're off that much, you're still within that kill zone. You know, if you're if you're within that uh, vital area. He goes to me. He goes, hey, try this. He goes, what do you look at when you shoot? I go, I don't. I I I just pull back and then I look through my peep and try to find my, my sights. He goes, don't do that. He goes, look at where your arrow. You want your arrow to land. Mm-hmm. He said, your hands are going to follow your eyes. Your arrow is going to follow your eyes. So sure enough, I started doing that. Started staring at my target and right where I wanted to hit, 12 ring, you know, center ring. um, And my arrow, I became way more consistent as a target shooter at that point. So I'm staring at where I want to hit, and my arrow seems to hit there. So I, 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 you know, taking that technique, taking that advice, taking that information, transferring it to the woods, that's what I try to do. So as I'm drawing back, I'm staring at the deer um, where I want to hit it. Um, and this year was a little different because he was so close. Like yep. I said, I shot, shot that deer <laughs> twice and right where I aimed both times. Um, the, but you know, I had to make sure that there are other things involved. So you talk about, you know, uh, other aspects mentally in the game. You have to, it's kind of like, uh, you know, making adjustments at halftime of a football game. You have the game plan in place, but you have to be able to adjust. I had the game plan in place. I didn't adjust on my first shot. Second one, I did, and I was able to put him down. So I don't think about anything. Um, Like Michael said, I used to get wrapped up in, oh, my gosh, that's a huge buck, and my heart would just, you know what I mean? Now I identify that this is a buck I want to chew. Now I'm focused on where do I want him to come. I start visualizing the process, and so when I do get that shot, I don't have to think about it. It just happens, as I mentioned before.
4: Yeah. Man, piggybacking off of what what you're saying, because while I didn't shoot a, a mount-worthy buck this year, like a, like a couple of you guys did, um, I I was able to put a couple of deer in my freezer with my bow this year, and a couple of pigs as well, um, all with the bow, and each each one of those, like I I don't want it to sound like it's a sense of, hey, when this is your mentality through a shot, you know. You've made it, you know. I, I don't want it to come across as that, but with more practice in the in the summer months, with more actual shots on actual game, you you build a a good sense of confidence, a, a good a, you know, not a not an arrogant sense of confidence, but just you know, it, you know that you can do this. You you have not just muscle memory from shooting, but you have a you have a Some a recollection that you can go back to on, on what it felt like to make a good shot on an animal. And I know like with this year, I, we hunt over, you know, down here in Texas, we're able to hunt over these food sources and everything like that. So in that regard, we typically have a good idea on ballpark, what our ranges are going to be. I mean, and if you hunt a frequent stand, you know, a lot of times that that's anywhere, you're going to have an idea on that. But um, we, we have some time, typically nine times out of ten almost you have some time to develop that plan or to see it play out in your mind you know beforehand and i know with every animal that i killed this year it was always once i made the decision i'm going to shoot this this animal there was nothing else on my mind other than making a good shot that was my priority at the forefront of my mind if, if you if you take it that way so And and from there, like, not just shooting, but my movements in the stand, you know, how how I'm getting set up and and what I'm looking at, the other deer or the other pigs in the area, you know, watching them, making sure that I have a a good opportunity to draw back and make a a good shot. All those things come into play all at once, and it is just – it's not even something that you're consciously – thinking you know out loud like oh okay as soon as he turns and then that deer looks away I'm gonna draw back or something it's just something that naturally comes to you and you know those moments when they occur and then with all my shots too I was pretty I'm I'm big on especially with the opportunity we have to kind of plan stuff out like that down here in Texas I'm big on the pass-throughs I always want to shoot pass-throughs if if at all possible so Every single one of those, I remember when I would draw back, same as you, taught. I visualize where I want to hit the animal. I'm not trying to focus on just my pin or my peep sight. I, 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 I practice enough that I know my anchor points are good. I, I know that when I come back to full draw and settle in that I'm good to go. And if something doesn't feel right, I know it's not right, and I'm going to let down and regroup and figure out what's going on. You know, that, that automatically comes to me. But I'm focused on the animal. I'm focused on where I'm going to make my shot. And the execution from there just comes, it, it, at least this year, I, it was a good feeling because it felt smooth as butter. You know, you yeah. just, to watch that arrow just pass through exactly where you wanted to put it, it's it's an awesome feeling. So,
1: right in the vis- visualization, you know, you use you, you, again early in my career, I would say, okay, step one is this, step two is this, step three is this, so on and so forth. You put uh, an order of things in your mind, a sequential order. And you would go through, and not that I don't do that now, um, it just happens a lot quicker now than it did when I was younger. You know, you could be on step three of your process, and it's taking so long that now your thoughts are interfering with what's going to happen with your shot. Yeah. So Yeah,
2: Yeah. but I think that what you're saying, Todd, is that uh, same thing that I've, I've done is, you know, when you're practicing in the backyard, you're doing competition, and you're down at your local archer shop, you have all the time. Okay. Yep. yep. So you can sit there and go through every single process and you need to, every mm-hmm. single shot, you need to go through your steps, whatever it is as, as your individual. And so then that way you're successful. Um, but the more you do it, the more years you do it, the more arrows you put down range with this, when it mm-hmm. comes to that moment of truth, like you said, you come to full draw, bam, 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 bam. You're already set four or five, whatever it is you're on. Now you're ready to release the arrow and, you know, piggybacking off what you said earlier, Todd, about picking a spot on the game, the target or the game, huge. Yep. What you look at, what you focus on is what you're going to hit. You got guys that come back to full draw. They put the pin on, on the buck Oh, let me take a glance at the antlers. I've done it before. Let me take a glance at the antlers. You go to shoot and all of a sudden you shot six inch over his back. I wonder why, because you weren't looking at the vitals right when you when you pick a spot on these deer or these pigs or any game that you're trying to harvest you've got a finite amount of time to get that arrow to that game before it goes through your opening before it picks you up whatever the situation is and you have to get to the point where you're staring at the spot you want to shoot as quickly as possible go through your spots as quickly as possible then once you're ready to shoot now you can not rush your shot so you can kind of just squeeze it off you know because like you said earlier sam there's times where you or maybe it was you todd you you get drawn back and you're just freaking out oh my god i I gotta shoot it's gonna get out of my way it's gonna shoot Yep. 99 of the time you miss that deer or you wound it and don't find that deer unless you just get flat lucky and usually i think what you're saying too um sam this year you watched your arrow pass through multiple animals and it just brings your confidence level up every single time you shoot something with that bow it don't really matter what you're shooting it with, but with bow, it's such a mental, such a mental game. Yeah, I mean, you'd be shooting a turkey. It doesn't really matter. You're shooting it. You're you're watching it go down, or you're placing a well-placed arrow into that game. Mm-hmm. Confidence just keeps going up, man. yeah Yeah.
4: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and it. I, I think with the target side too, it just. I don't know. For me, at least, what I've experienced and what I've noticed, you know, as I've shot, you know more in the off seasons as I've, you know, hunted more seasons with a bow, et cetera, it, you know, target shooting just, it, it feels like every, and I'm, I'm, you know, saying things that I feel like we've already hit somewhat, but it feels like everything is just so magnified. Even if you're the most confident guy in the world, you know, you're thinking about everything. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas it just, it feels like once you actually zone in on an animal, and as both of you said, you put your focus on that shot, the placement of that shot, where you're aiming with that shot, all that extra noise, if you will, it almost just goes away.
2: Absolutely. It does. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. soon as come to full draw. Yeah. 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 When you're on a game, you're not, the anxiety's not there once you've shot enough, you know, where it is in, where it is in competition. Like you said, you get down the last few rows. Man, I know I'm shooting clean, haven't dropped an arrow all night. Boom! Last ten arrows, you drop one, and it's that's the, that's the anxiety part of it. You know, you get in your own. That's the mental side of it. Yeah. And but when you you come to full draw on a live animal, once you've put down a few, it, that anxiety starts to go away. You know, you get confidence in yourself. Yeah. But you know, another thing is I want to I want to speak about with me personally for my competition shooting that I have done over the years. You know, whether it's just winter leagues. 3d leagues and tournaments, stuff like that. I only one winner that I shoot a setup that I didn't hunt with. And I shot really good with the setup. Don't get me wrong, but it didn't translate when it came to hunting season. And so I switched over after that following year and I did it before that year or two, but I only will shoot all year round with what I'm going to hunt with the stabilizer I'm going to hunt with the sight that I'm going to hunt with and the bow that I'm going to hunt with. I know so many guys that got a target bow and then they got a button bow. That's cool. Okay. Like maybe if you're making money, you're winning stuff. That's cool. But for me trying to become a better hunter, I need to have the results in the field. You know, if I, if I get 11 instead of a 12 or a 10 instead of a 12 on a 3d archery target, it's not the end of the world to me. Mm -hmm. My biggest thing is I'm trying to hone the skills with the equipment that I'm taking into the woods. Like Todd said, these guys got 30 plus inch stabilizers. He's laughing. They're not taking that into the woods. Mm -hmm. It's not making them a better hunter. It's just making them a better target hunter or target shooter. Mm -hmm.
4: Well, and I know some guys also that, you know, and, and when I, for the brief period of time that I did shoot competitively, this, it wasn't really a conscious thought like it is now at the time. But coincidentally, looking back, I noticed what I did I had a bow for target and then I had my hunting bow. And while during the target season, I might have been shooting my target bow and practicing with it. I did not stop practicing with my hunting bow at the same Mm -hmm. time. Now, different things can mess with different people. There might be people out there who, who can't do that, who can't be shooting two different setups you know, simultaneously at the same, during the same time period, you know, and feel like they are in tune, if you will, with both of those setups and those intricacies. There's some people that can, there's some people that, that can make that switch work. There's some people like you're saying, Michael, that, that don't want to, or that can't. And, but you know, coincidentally, I realized that that year, I don't remember that year as being a year that my bow hunting in particular suffered. And mm-hmm. I, I attribute it to the fact that, despite me shooting target, I still didn't give up on picking up my hunting bow, if that makes sense. right. So
1: and I'm right there, I'm right there with you, Sam. I uh, when I started doing competitive shooting, like I said, Heather, and I just started just to get practice for hunting season. And then, as I started to evolve as a target shooter, as a competitive shooter, Um, I remember one year when I I, I took a little bit of time off because I was so busy with coaching baseball and we had um, our first born. So it was just busy, busy time in my life. So um, we had a really good baseball team. We lost first round of the districts, which we weren't expecting. And so I was just kind of bummed on a Sunday and Heather and I sitting around, what what are we doing? You know, what do we, you know, what are we gonna do today? Well, I found a, a archery shoot and it was a qualifier for the world championship, IBO world championship. And so I went out there, ended up qualifying for the IBO World Championship. (laughs) And then I remember going into that with the same mind mind frame or same mindset that I'm bringing my hunting gear. I had, I look like a doofus out there, basically. I had just a ripped t-shirt and some, and everybody's all dressed up in their with their sponsors on and their shooting shirts. And I just show up and I'm "I'm just going to shoot. And I remember second day, I think I told you the story, Sam, the guy that I was shooting with, I didn't realize he was in my group. Um, he uh he was like the reigning reigning champ for our our class and second day first three he he you know he center punched it he uh i think he scored 11 on the first three targets and i remember thinking you know i'm just gonna aim right for his arrows (laughs) if i can get close to his arrow aim small miss small if i get close to his arrow i want to be really close to you know top score here so sure enough i i love in the first three i'm right next to his arrows on the fourth target, I said something to him. Like, and I wasn't like trying to talk, talk garbage to him or anything. You know, I was just trying to be funny. You know, I go to him, I go, Hey dude, I'm just going to start slapping your arrows. I'm just going to start hitting your arrows because they seem to be <laughs> shooting well. And I was, there's no way, you know, you guys can put an arrow in. And I, I'm going to shoot you at your arrow and purposely try to hit it. There is no way I'm going to hit it. But as luck would have it as, or as no luck would have it, I said this to this guy and what do I do? he was so upset with me (laughs) oh my gosh he was so upset with me so he, he took the arrow breaks it he's like that arrow's gone throws it and so but it started raining and at any rate I finished in the top 50 and at that time I'm like oh my gosh this competitive thing could actually turn into something so I ended up getting sponsors and one of my sponsors was a boat company so that's when I ended up switching from a hunting bow. I had a hunting bow and a target bow. And like you said a few seconds ago, Sam, um, during target season, competitive target season in the summertime, archery season, I would use my target bow. But as we got closer to hunting season, I would switch over my hunting bow and use my hunting bow exclusively. And there actually wasn't much difference between my hunting and my. The only big difference was the let off, which I like to let off more on my target bow, not not as much on my. Um, my hunting bow at that time. But yeah, um, yeah so I had two um, for quite a few years there as well. And so I didn't have the 32 inch stabilizer though.
4: No, I never <laughs> went that far. No. And, mm-hmm. and I think part, like again, hindsight 2020 looking back, I, uh, my, I, at the, at the time, I mean, I'm, I'm not scared to say on the podcast, we have a different bow partner now, but way back in the day for, mm-hmm. for a while, for several years, I shot Hoyt. Um, mm-hmm. And my hunting bow and my, Target bow were both Hoyts, and they both had the same cam Mm -hmm. system. So I Mm -hmm. think that's another thing that was probably Mm -hmm. again didn't really think about at the time. You know, novice archer Sam at the time, but uh, you know, having the same cam system on both bows probably also helped me a little bit just with some familiarity in when I did go back and forth. So
3: yeah, and I don't I don't have a lot of Competition experience, but from what it sounds like from the three of you, sounds like it's all in the process. You know, it's all in the process of getting your anchor point and having your process of when you draw back. Doesn't matter which bow you use; you're going to use the same process for each bow. Yeah.
1: You know, and, and through the competitive process, that's when I started understanding what an anchor point was. I started understanding some of this terminology. Prior to that, I was just basically, you know, <laughs> gripping and ripping. You yeah, know what I mean? exactly. No, you know what I mean? Yeah. But some of the terminology, such as the anchor point and, and such as, you know, making sure your, your wrist is turned the right way so you're not slapping your forearm and some of those finer things, you, you, you learn that through that competitor. I learned that through that competitive process. And yeah. sometimes there's a painful, painful experience <laughs> or painful lesson to learn, but you learn it you
4: know yeah yeah. well same todd i I learned it through you know through the bow shop you know i started working at a bow shop they're like hey man this old dinosaur you've been shooting for a few years now it doesn't work for you you need to get rid of this thing you need you know Mm -hmm. we need to set if you're going to work here we got to set you up with something that you know fits (laughs) you so you know and and then you know learning just the terminology and stuff and then like i said earlier later on the tech aspect learning the the intricacies behind actually you know how these bows work, how to tune them, how to how to break them down and build them back up again. You know, I mean, all, all right. that all that kind of stuff, and really getting detailed with it. But um, another another thing I kind of wanted to, to steer the conversation towards it's 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 related to, to all this, but you know, as far as what I mentioned at the beginning, our our limits as as archers and and learning those pushing through those barriers, if you will. And, 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 you know, we all have limits, you know, they may be different in one way or another than they were a few years ago, but even today, all four of us sitting here, doesn't matter how good of a shooter you are, you have limits. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of steer the conversation that way and, and talk about some of those limits. And it it might sound kind of weird, but I think a good, a good segue into that is something that Michael mentioned earlier, just kind of in passing, he talked about his, his site, his single pin that he that he runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll start with you, Michael, and kind of expand on that from the gear standpoint on how you practice with that single pin. And because everybody knows, and I, the, probably the biggest question we get around those is, well, how do you have the time to adjust? How do you have the time to adjust that if it's just one pin for that you have to put on every yard? So I'll turn it over to you to talk about that that single mm-hmm. pin. And then we'll, we'll steer that conversation into some of those limitations and everything.
2: Well, let me tell you, as somebody who was against single pins for years, um, same exact thing I would say to guys at the bow shop, you know, the guy that a buddy of mine who owns the local bow shop would tell me, man, you got a single pin, you got a single pin. I'm, Dude, I'm not going to have time to adjust, range, adjust, draw back and shoot, especially when it's in the rut. So that would always say. That was my excuse. That was for years. I used that excuse. Um, I used to run anywhere from four to five pins. Sometimes it got a little confusing when you'd come to full draw and you're like, which pin is this again? Oh yeah, it's the third one down. That's the, that's the 30 yard or the 40 yard, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you're splitting pins when you're shooting, you know, in between. And uh, he just told me, you know, the he said, man, your, your accuracy is just gonna go through the roof. You'll be surprised at how much time you really do have to adjust those sights. And so I got adjustable sight back. Uh, I must say it was probably Around 2010 is when I finally switched over to a single pin, and there is no way that single pin will ever come off my bow. There is no way in the world that thing will come off my bow. I have not, I cannot honestly remember one scenario where I didn't get a deer based on that single pin. I, I mean, I'm just being honest with you guys. Yeah. Uh, I don't hunt over, you know, here in the Midwest, we can't hunt over a, a bait station, uh, mm-hmm. a feeder, anything like that. So a lot of your deer are moving where in those scenarios, maybe you have a little bit more opportunity to sit there. Plus, you know, your yardages. So what I learned was I just would pre-range every spot. I thought I was going to get a shot opportunity beforehand. It didn't matter if it was a button buck or doe that would walk through. I would range her or him A small buck. Okay. That trails 25, that, that tree's 30, that spot where they keep coming out of the, the corn standing corns, 35 then if i see a deer i want to shoot i already know in my mind that's the yardage so just knowing your yardage and what i learned after the first year or two of shooting it is okay now shoot that pin at different yardages take your 20 yard pin shoot at 30. take your 30 yard pin you know shoot it at 20 or you know adjust your pin to 30 shoot at 20. see what happens is it it just shooting two inches high there's a lot of years i'll just set my pin at 30 yards and anything 35 and under I just use my 30 yard pin with how fast these bows shoot because these bows are shoot fast enough that I could just aim a little high aim a little low and not even have to worry about switching pins over so uh, for anybody on the on the fence about a, a single pin sight, man I would definitely try them out because they are so accurate it's not even funny and it's just a huge game changer for for me personally.
4: Well, you're you're setting your yardages exact. Like you range a deer mm-hmm. and they're at let's say thirty two yards, you put that mm-hmm. pin on thirty two on your tape and then that goes yeah. right back into what we were talking about about how you're aiming at where you want that arrow to go. You know, yep. there there's no shooting pin gaps or anything like that. Yeah. So
0: yeah.
2: And you know, like I said earlier in the year on the recap of the two bucks that I harvested, you know, the first one he came out at 30, well, when I seen him, he was 36 yards. By the time I put an arrow in him, I had ranged him, he was at 32. Then I moved that dial right to 32. Uh, the second buck I watched for quite a while and ended up getting a 45 yard shot. Turn that dial right there to 45. I, Man, I'll be honest with you, even with how much I shoot in the equipment nowadays, if I was splitting a 40 and a 50 yard pin at 45 yard, I I don't know. I don't know if I took that shot. I really don't. But. When I can dial it down to forty five and just anchor and go through my emotions and squeeze off, it's man, it's deadly. There's you take so much guesswork out of it.
4: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. I think Michael just convinced me to go to a single pin. <laughs>
4: <laughs> man, I I've I've thought about it for a while and I so I, I set up and I know I've talked about this in random podcast episodes here and there probably before, but I run a I run a CBE. It's a, it is a five pin, but it's also mm-hmm. on a slider. So that bottom pin's your floater pin, anything past 60 yards. Um, and, and, and I love it. it. It works for me. And originally I built that bow or not that bow specifically, but I got that site and still have it to this day when I was going out to Montana and mm-hmm. out there spotting stock in the sage, you know, out there, Drew was like, Hey, you got to, you got to be ready to shoot quick out here if you're going to bow hunt. And so my mentality behind that was, well, anything under 60, I can whip up a quick shot real quick over 60. Obviously if I'm shooting that far, I better, that I better have the time, you know, to make that adjustment and everything. So that was my mentality behind it. And it still works for me. I have this kind of the same as Nick, you know, I have this new fire under me for maybe if I do switch switching over to a single, but for now this is what I'm still running. But in running that, Despite the benefits that I saw in it, I still have pin gaps. You know, anything under 60, and I owe it to myself and the animal I'm shooting to know my pin gaps and know my yardages. So I I went at, like shot all those in between yardages, and I learned that um, with with my bow and anything like that 20 to 30 yard gap, if you will, anything t- between basically 18 and 24 yards with my bow and the way I shoot, I would be using that 20 yard pin. 25, 26, 27 yards, I would be using my pin gap in between my 20 and my 30. And then mm-hmm. my 20, what, what's that, 28 to 32 at that point, I'm using my 30 yard pin. And I, ha- I had all that written out and I memorized it by the end of it, You know, for each and every single one of those pins. So that, that's a lot of work, that's a lot of memorization, that's, that's mm-hmm. commitment to know that and know those yardages and everything but if you are if you're gonna shoot pin gaps and everything yeah in my opinion that's the the level of preparedness that you should push yourself to um to to know where those yardages are and know those intricacies it's it in my mind it's more than just 20 right in between 25 30 you know because i mean you're gonna range animals and they're gonna be those random yardages well what what do you do then where do you put that shot and You know, going back to what Todd said, I know some guys have a mentality, man, you know, in in hunting, if you're, if you're with, you know, in an inch or two, you're hitting vitals and stuff. One could argue that, but that's, Mm -hmm. that's not me. I, I want to be precise and that's just, Mm -hmm. that's in my blood. Mm -hmm. So knowing those pin gaps, if that is what you're shooting, I think that is, that's something that you owe to yourself and the animal you're shooting. So.
1: So I, uh, I was opposite of Michael. I started off with a single pin. And I struggled with trying to adjust. I struggled with trying to adjust it. Like, like you mentioned, here comes a deer. I know it's not at 20 because I'd always had my pin set at 20, but then I had my marks for 30, 40 and so on and so forth. I find myself more focused on that than what the animal's actually doing. And so then I went to, I'm not going to adjust. I'm just going to raise the pin up or down or whatever, whatever the case may be. And, um, I really struggled with that, and when I started shooting competitively, I started off in IBO, and you can't use a rangefinder when you're shooting IBO. So I felt like shooting IBO, I got I got better at judging distance without a rangefinder. Yep. Um, in fact, when I started shooting ASA, I went to a couple of tournaments. Um, I think I was down in Illinois, actually. In this particular case, a guy came up to me. was like, "You're not using a rangefinder at all." I said, "No, I don't think you can. Can you?" He's like, "Oh yeah, you can. This is ASA." I'm like, "Oh, okay." Because they're shooting pretty good without a rangefinder. <laughs> I'm like it's pretty easy. But um, so but but to your uh, you were talking about gaps to your to your point um, I do the same thing you know a lot of people set their pins up at 20 30 40 50 right at those yardages what I try to do is I try to offset that a little bit so like my number one pin is set at like 23 or 24 yards because that's the typical range that you're going to, that I get, I seem to get shots at, you know what I mean? Um, and again, I got advice when I was shooting competitively, they said, don't ever set your pins right at the 20, the 30, the 40 yard mark in competitive archery. The typical target is set out at 26 yards, for example. So you want your pins set at 26 yards and then you adjust from there. So if you have 20 targets, you may have 11 set at 26. You know what I mean, and then the rest set at various ranges, further or closer or whatever that may be. Yeah. But and so that's that's kind of what I've I've grown to. And then um, you know I also when I practice, I really focus on making sure if I if it's a gap shot, I, I make sure I practice those religiously, and I make sure that top pin is toward the toward the top, bottom pin is toward the bottom, and you know that's what I focus on. I don't try to pick a point in the in the open area. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And so if I can do that, I feel pretty comfortable. So.
2: Yeah, I feel like uh, going back to me for the single pin is it was just less confusion. Um, you know, you draw back, uh, I center that housing now, I've got one pin right in the dead center of that housing. I don't have to worry about my 20-yard pins up here at the top, my 60-yard pins down here at the bottom. I've got one right in the center, I've got a clear housing now, I have more visibility to see what what's going on. I don't have all these lines going through with pins attached to them. Uh, so that's what I, that's a big thing that I really liked about it too, was there was just less confusion, less going on, uh, when it comes to the sight house. Yes, there's a little more going on when you're adjusting your site. I will, I will say that, but it's just same thing as you guys are saying with gap shooting a pin is what I do with a single pin. Like I said, when I'm just shooting all these different yardages, when I'm already preset at 30 yards or 25 yards or 35 yards, just find out how your arrows set up and your bow shoot at these yardages so because i mean i've had times where a buck comes in chasing a doe and i know okay that does on that 25 yard trail and i got it, my my pin set at 30. well i'm I'm just going to shoot it with my 30 i'm going to aim i already know at 25 yards i'm hitting an inch and a half two inches high when i've got my 30 yard pin basically aim for the heart he's going to get center punched right and double lung. i've done it before mm-hmm. um but i would say man i'm telling you guys it's crazy how many times i i Ninety plus percent of the deer I've shot, I've had the exact amount of time to dial my my sight to the exact yardage within one yard. Maybe they, I range them at 26 and they take a step, now it's 27. I'm not worried about that one yard. I know my bow shoots flat enough, and I have the confidence that the, the quarter to half inch I might be difference is you know isn't going to make any difference when it comes to that vital shot. Yeah. And yes, you want to be pinpoint accurate, but we're not talking two or three inches here. Right.
1: Right. Right. Yeah,
4: another thing to be sure about too is that you have that, and this is something that comes naturally to most guys just because it's their equipment. But you know, when you dial in your bow, dial it into your rangefinder, because yep. they're depending on. I, I've seen it before where you get a rangefinder and it might just be a, a smidgen off. Uh, compared to your previous one, I, I experienced that this uh, not this season, but the season before. My old rangefinder I've had forever broke, so I had to go get a new one. And all of a sudden, that tree that used to be 21 yards, it's now telling me that it's 20 yards. So, yeah. you know, it, and again, we're talking about small numbers in that, but again,
1: you, yeah. what's that? So it could make a huge difference.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It can make a huge difference, especially when you're trying to be precise or as we get into our, the next part of our conversation, as you start shooting long range distance too, that's when it also will make a difference. So.
1: Mm -hmm. You're talking about, sorry, you're talking about limitations. And one thing that popped in my mind is my limitation.
4: All right, everybody. Well, this is just me, Sam here, talking to you guys. We recorded this episode actually for a very, very long period of time. It was the, longest i think we've ever sat down and recorded one uh podcast topic if that makes sense um all that is to say for the publication schedule we decided to split it into two weeks episodes so this is the end of part one next week we will be back with the second half of the conversation for part two so you guys will have to return um to whatever platform you're listening on next week on that note whatever platform you are listening on please hit that follow and subscribe button make sure your notifications are turned on Um, We are on all major podcast platforms, as well as Carbon TV and Waypoint TV. Um, The podcast videos can be found on our YouTube channel. Be sure you uh, follow Fall Obsession on all social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Go Wild. We're on TikTok now as Fall Obsession Media, so be sure you head on over there and give us a follow. Um, Fallobsession.com is our website. That's the hub. That's where you guys can go to find all of our content. Um, as well as our apparel support, a blue-collar hunting brand, and pick you up a hat or a T-shirt, some stickers today. Um, and last but not least, Ridge Rock Hunt Company is the podcast partner. Derek and Lacey over there in Mississippi, they book hunts with vetted outfitters across the country, and they do their best to set you up with somebody. Derek will work with you on licensing, time frame, uh, outfitter location, all that good stuff. So give him a call, Ridge Rock Hunt Company, and see what he can help set up for you. Thank you guys for listening. We're back with part two again next week.